Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and I'm hosting on my own today, but we do have possibly the most special guest that we have ever had in the history of the podcast. Uh, you know, we've we've had folks like Bill Connolly and, uh, well, mostly just Bill, but uh, Bill is not, uh, God love him, he is not an expert on all things Atlanta Hawks. And today's guest uh, on the pod, where we're going to be talking about Penn State basketball, we're going to be doing a little bit talking about uh, Summer League and how the Nittany Lions at Summer League have been doing with a special focus on uh, Seth Lundy due to the fact that our guest covers the Atlanta Hawks. And then, you know, possibly talking about other other things and stuff. Uh, I'm joined today by a co-worker at uh, my day job at Uprock Sports and Dime, uh, Brad, what don't you do? Brad Roland, uh, what don't you do to cover the Atlanta Hawks? Because you do kind of have the team covered in every single way. Uh, I don't travel with the team. That's about it. Everything else is uh, locked and loaded. Thank you for having me, Bill. Even though I'm a Michigan fan, which I should I should, I should just announce right now on the podcast, right? That'll, that'll go over well at the beginning? Well, I, I, we've had Ace on. Uh, I, I mean, there you I, go. That's actually a really – that's actually a really uh, – Really good thing for you to get out there because uh, I think the way I wanted to start this edition of the podcast, we don't do a ton of uh, basketball, or at least not nearly as much basketball pods uh, as I, I I would like to just because of time and all that. And you are a person who there aren't a lot of people in the national media <laughs> or in college basketball fandom in general who like pay attention to Penn State. And by nature of one, you being a Michigan fan to uh, how much time, focus, energy you put into uh, covering basketball, whether it's NBA, whether it's the Hawks, whether it's the draft, whatever. And three, again, uh, the fact that you work with me, you're like kind of aware of Penn State basketball, which is more than 95% of people. So like what stuck out to you last season about watching my beloved Nittany Lions of the Pennsylvania State University? I think that the biggest thing was the playing style. I mean, I know we talked about this offline as well, but just I think the Penn State they just put a lot of a lot of fun basketball in a way that you would not necessarily associate with Penn State. All due respect, but the the new staff that came in and the last couple of years, and it's just kind of been a beautiful brand of basketball. I particularly enjoy the work of Jalen Pickett, who we can talk about if you want to, and then. You know, anytime they have guys, like they had two guys drafted from Penn State in the same year. That's not a usual thing that happens. Um, so they were both fun to watch, also entertaining, also competitive, and like legitimately a threat to win against any opponent basically every night. And, you know, Michigan, I saw them a close personal against those two, uh, those two games that were a split. And just the fact that uh, they are a real basketball program at this point in time in a way that I don't mean negatively from previous years, but uh, it's definitely a different sort of era uh, for Penn State basketball, particularly, again, two guys being drafted and having real kind of high-level talent. Yeah, and unfortunately, Micah Shrewsbury ended up going to Notre Dame, got Mike Rhodes in, but like – how many how many years have you and I known each other, Bradley? Talk, t- talked about Big Ten a athletics lot. with one another. Yeah, and yeah, probably. I don't know, seven, that, seven, something like that. <laughs> and 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 in that time, so much of like it's fascinating to me how like you just kind of expect me to be in a little bit of a grouchy mood in December and January and February, <laughs> and then like I just don't have much going on in March, and like when. I'm 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 actually interested to get your thoughts. I don't think I've ever explicitly asked you this question. 
when you hear the words Penn State basketball, what do what like goes through your head? Uh, my instinct is to start naming some guys because that's that's what you and I do. We talk about Big Ten basketball. <laughs> Uh, just start to start remembering some guys from Penn State, your, but I mean, a more, a more serious answer, you know, kind of a, you know, a bottom tier Big Ten program in, in basketball. I mean, that, that's kind of what it's been for the majority of my life. And, you know, I'm not like every single day grinding every single Big Ten game, but certainly that's what it's been, which is why my answer before was different. Like it's, it, it's felt different recently with Penn State. And so like, I guess my answer would be a little bit different now, but like for the majority of our time as friends and the majority of my time watching Big Ten basketball, it's just kind of like, kind of an also ran, like it didn't seem like there was much attention at all paid to Penn State basketball in general, you know, little pockets of success with maybe a guy or two that you, that you might remember, but for the most part, not a ton of cohesion and not exactly something that you're like making appointment viewing outside of yourself, of course. Mm-hmm. And yes, absolutely. And, uh, other than Taylor Battle, when I say do a Penn State remember some guy <laughs> who pops right into your head, just out of curiosity. Oh man! Well, I actually this is this is unfair. I just walked by Calvin Booth like yesterday in the I'm in Las Vegas, so I think Calvin <laughs> Booth is the answer I'll give you for now. Oh <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, you know that's that that's very reasonable. And Calvin is obviously Cal, Calvin, someone whose name will be uh will will bring up in a nanosecond when we talk about Jalen Pickett and his kind of future. With the Denver Nuggets, Calvin, obviously general manager of the Nuggets, you know, didn't build the team that helped them win uh, an NBA title last year, but got those final finishing touches that got them over the hump. But before we get to Calvin's team, Denver, all that, we have you here to talk about the Atlanta Hawks in large part because uh, the Atlanta Hawks did a thing that I I really want to stress you and I were joking about the Hawks doing this for like <laughs> a month and a half before the draft. And the next thing you know, with the 46th pick in the second round of the 2023 NBA draft, Atlanta decided to pick Seth Lundy. And I guess my question is, for when you and I were talking about it, when you and I were kind of uh, joking, oh, you know, Seth, they're, they're, they should draft Seth, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, it had that bit of, you know, you and I just goofing around because it was going to get each other in each other's pods. But what did you like about Seth coming out? Of, well, let's even take a step back. When you watched Seth last season, did you think, oh, there's an NBA player in there? Yeah, I mean, I, I had him, you know, I do a lot of draft stuff. I had him as a as a comfortably draftable player, like a top 50 guy on my board. And because of that, like the Hawks being where they were and what the Hawks kind of value with shooting, it was it was a joke, but also like, by the time they were on the clock at 46, I actually wanted them to draft Seth Lundy. Like he was the guy that I would have picked as the Hawks in that slot. So it was like kind of good for the bit, but like I, I do believe and I have believed for the majority of this season that he was an NBA caliber, you know, draftable player. And look, there's always a translation. Second round picks, they're not bulletproof by any means, even when you're going 46 versus 56 or whatever it is. But um, I think obviously the easy skill is the shooting, which we, we could talk about. But I do believe, like just to answer the question plainly, that he is a guy that should have been drafted and it was an appropriate draft slot for him. I wouldn't like banging the table as a top 20 guy on my board, but certainly a guy that should have been picked. And I'm glad he was. And I think it's like a very, very uh, reasonable investment, even before talking about summer league. Yeah, and when when we looked at Seth, I, we did a little bit of this. Uh, Brad's the host of uh, the Locked On Hawk, Hawks podcast on the Locked On Network, and when you and I were doing a little bit of talking about Seth, when I when I went into uh, your stopping grounds over there, 
we talked about how he has when you're when you're looking at a guy in the second round, you're not looking for a superstar, right? You're not like you're not looking for Nikola Jokic. You're not looking for you know Isaiah Thomas. You're looking for a guy who can competently do a few things. And you know I'll kind of hand the baton to you here. Going through the draft process and going back and watching him last season, it's very obvious that Seth has skills on both sides of the basketball that even if, you know, this is a little bit rough, that's a little bit rough, the things that he can conceivably do at an NBA level are like the most valuable things you can get out of a guy in that position. Yeah, that's definitely true. And you kind of alluded to this, but I always kind of feel like there are two, they're kind of broad pathways to second round picks in particular, but there's one that's like a a very much tools-based kind of upside swing pick, which the Hawks actually made one of those. They dropped this guy named Muhammad Gay from Washington State that's like very much a toolsy upside bet. And then there's also the guys who like may have a little bit lower upside, but you can kind of very clearly see how they would work in the NBA if it works. And Seth is that second one where like it's very easy to see what like sort of what the appeal is. I've talked to him a couple times this week and it's very clear that he understands that as well, which I think is very valuable to kind of know what you are and what you aren't as you go into the NBA, like what your role is probably going to have to be for it to work. And Seth's role starts with the shooting. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is that he is a wing shooter. He is willing to shoot. He is able to shoot. And, you know, he, he I think he's far, went as far as to say to me on the record this week, uh, I asked him about shooting. He basically said, uh, quote, I know that's my job. Basically, like he knows that's that's what his calling card is going to be. So that's that's number one on the offense on the offensive side, and then defensively, just like getting up getting up into guys. I don't think he's going to be like this elite game changing defender, but he's been like notably aggressive and physical in summer league. In summer league, it's tough to evaluate defense without going down that rabbit hole too much, because you're not running the same schemes. You're going to run the NBA. Guys are you know bumping into each other. It's not always the most cohesive basketball, but his effort level and his physicality were pretty much evident from moment one in summer league, which is good as far as a guy who is, who was a four-year guy, like, you know, mm-hmm. in college and um, you want him to be kind of more physically developed. And he's, he's sort of shown that. So yeah, the two way appeal, certainly I think it should be very clear to you and everybody else. Like his primary appeal in the NBA is his shooting, but you have to be able to defend enough. Even if you are a knockdown shooter, especially if you're going to be a, a sort of a role player, um, you can't just be a zero on defense. I think he knows that. I, I don't think he will be. So yeah, that, that two-way appeal is really evident, even if it's like not going to be a ton of like on-ball creation on offense or uh, you know not going to be this like lockdown defender. I think the fact, that he, the fact that he can do both, he has enough size, enough physicality, enough, enough athleticism to kind of stick in the NBA. It's a pretty easy package to see. Yeah, and through four games, uh, I, I'm just giving their summer league record as like a point of reference, folks. Please do not <laughs> actually like take anything from that. Uh, through four games, Atlanta's three and one out at summer league. Seth has played in all of them, but that, that does have a bit of an asterisk. We'll get to in a second. 17.2 minutes a game, 10.3 points, 5.3 rebounds, 1.8 of them being offensive rebounds, about a one to one assist to turnover ratio, you know, a few more assists than turnovers 1.3 blocks and 37.9% from three. And Brad, the thing that has stuck out to me about Seth is I've watched a little bit as, you know, tracking box scores, things like that. It really seems like there is like a direct correlation between whomever is coaching the Hawks in summer league, playing him more and trusting him a little bit more and just the confidence, the caliber of the performances that he's putting in that sort of 
Yeah, I think that as the week has gone along, he has gotten more comfortable. You know, more often than not, a guy that was drafted 46th and is already going to be on a two-way contract would be starting in summer league. But the Hawks have the Hawks started the week with seven, with seven guys on the roster, like actual roster guys, which is way more than usual. So he actually has been coming off the bench, which is a little bit odd. And I think he kind of had to adjust to that a little bit too. But once he got settled in, I think the green light has been on. I talked to him after the fourth game and kind of just mm-hmm. threw that out there as a prompt. And he basically said, yeah, they want me to shoot whenever I'm open and always be looking to shoot. And the big uh, – you, you, didn't, you didn't use this stat. I'm, I'm going to throw a stat at you, Bill. That's pretty wild about how Seth has been playing and the confidence that you re- that you referenced. Like you said, he's playing 17 minutes a game or so. He is taking more than seven threes a game in 17 minutes. That is an astronomically <laughs> high number. And and honestly, like none of them are like horrible shots. You know, like he, he's taking the right shots, but it's yeah. quick trigger. He's hunting his shot, which which again goes to what he told me about how he is actively kind of embracing that as a role. And look, like he kind of unprompted to me talked about how he has his offseason plan in place with Kyle Korver, who is the Hawks assistant GM. You wouldn't think it would be, would be like an on-court guy, but Kyle's still close enough to have pl- to playing where he's very active in the gym with these guys. And Kyle Korver, for your audience, like is an all-time great NBA shooter who basically was in this mold. Like no one's saying he's going to be Kyle Korver because Kyle Korver was an all-star at one point and like was excellent at this. But uh, Seth basically said, look, it's great to have a guy like this in my corner that kind of teach me, you know, shot prep and off and off ball movement stuff at like the nuances of being in the NBA. But man, that number, even as I'm looking at it right now, 7.3 three point attempts per, per game at 17 minutes. Like that is a ridiculous, like Malik Beasley level of firing it from three point range. And by the way, they want that. They're encouraging it. Yeah, I mean, last year uh, in Big Ten play, 13.4 uh, attempts from three per 100% possessions, which, like, I don't have it pulled up here. Uh, I it's would a lot. assume that his, <laughs> that number was – that I would assume that number was, if not tops in the Big Ten, in the top, like, four, five, something like that, in the – or top two, three, whatever. Uh, here, actually, yeah, I could not can't pull it up. Never mind. Great podcasting here, Bill. Uh, so – what you mentioned learning from a guy like Kyle Korver, Kyle, you know, Kyle is maybe is the prettiest jumper in NBA history. And Seth obviously has a very pretty jumper. That's the thing that like sticks out when you watch Seth, like it, from the time uh, Micah Shrewsbury basically came in and said, Seth, you are shooting. I don't care what it looks like. If you get the ball in a position where you're comfortable to shoot the ball. But I want to ask about the other stuff in his game, Brad, because obviously we all know what Seth is as a shooter, uh, whether whether you're a Penn State fan, whether you are a Hawks fan t- turning into summer week, and you can just tell this guy is a green light to let it fly. But what has stuck out to you about the rest of his game, good, bad, otherwise, whether it makes you go, oh, yeah, this is a guy that can actually help the Hawks right away, or eh, this is a guy who's going to be spending a lot of his time in the G League this year. Yeah, I mean, in general, I, I always defer, especially for a team that's trying to win like the Hawks are. You can debate on how good they are, but they are obviously trying to win. Um, any second-round pick as a rookie, you have to assume they're not going to play a lot. That's just kind of the way it is. I do think, though, if you get an injury or two, he's the kind of guy that could be helpful to them right away. Again, mostly because of the shooting, but because of the the age that he is, the uh, kind of approach level that he's been giving. Um, but to answer the question, like, I, you know, I think if you're looking for something that he's not doing a ton of, it's anything on the ball, which I think is expected mm-hmm. at the same time. Like he did a little bit of that in college, which you could even speak to more than I could. But I think, yeah, he's averaging a less than two attempts per, per, per uh, game, I should say, from inside the arc and only two free throws total this week. 
So like he's really really leaning into the specialist thing on offense, which is fine. And again, that's what they're wanting him to do. Um, but that's something I, I'll, I'll look forward to him probably more so in the G League when he gets there because he's going to play some in the G League, almost certainly, um, just to see what, what that looks like, whether he'll do a little bit more on the ball, a little bit more attacking the rim. But right now it's a lot of three-point shooting, like basically specialist role. Um, defensively, like I said, he's been really active, you know, more than a block per game. And I think it's been um, notable to me and others that kind of unprompted that I talked to about this is like, I think he's like his, his activity level has been really good defensively. And that doesn't always mean you're going to be great. You can look like you're playing hard in the NBA and not be a good defender. That's important to note. But you you do have to play hard. That's the thing. Like playing hard is the baseline, not you know there's that old adage which I think you and I've talked about before like how defense is all about effort. That's not true in the NBA. You have to have effort, but you could be you could, you could be a try hard in the NBA and, and not be a good defender. I do think that Lundy has the ability to be a pretty solid defender. Again, not game changing, but he has enough size. He, he gets into people. He executes pretty well, from what I've heard from the coaching staff and what I've been able to see on on tape as well. Like he's not in the wrong spot. He's kind of doing what they're asking him to do. And uh, that's not a big thing. And also a very low turnover player, which I think goes to that role that he's doing. But that's something you have to have too. When you're, when you're not going to handle the ball a lot, you can't afford to make mistakes. So the occasional errant pass will happen or whatever, but uh, only about a, a, you know less than a turnover and a half per game is totally fine for the role that he's in. So I think what jumped out to me beyond the shooting most has been the aggressiveness defensively and the physicality, but he's not taking anything super off the table. It's just that he hasn't really uh, been asked to or really taken the opportunity to kind of go one-on-one or kind of attack the rim, which again, like is probably what he won't be doing in the NBA either. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. In college last last game, he actually had four assists, which I would imagine was very close to what his high was in a college game. But last year he wasn't, wasn't setting his teammates up basically ever, but he was 20th nationally uh, in turnover rate. So he is a guy who, uh, when you're a guy like Seth, your pathway to the NBA, it revolves around, obviously, his shot, his on-ball defense. But then it also revolves around, can we put you out there and you're not going to make any major mistakes? And Seth, it, that's what helps Seth. And we'll see what ends up happening when he actually gets to the NBA. But Brad, as you're kind of projecting out this season for Seth, what what do you kind of imagine his role being in Atlanta and is there a way that, you know, as we're sitting here on, uh, you know, July 14th at basically 4 PM Eastern time, you can foresee his role maybe increasing compared to what it is as we're projecting it out right now. Yeah. I think for the most part, the Hawks are a team that has a very clear, at least unless they like, unless they make more trade, which they certainly could make more trades. Um, at the moment, they have a very clear top nine as far as like, if they were healthy, I could tell you right now today who's going to be in the rotation opening night. They have nine guys, and it's very clear who those nine guys are. And a couple of those guys are wings that are kind of in Seth's mold. Uh, AJ Griffin, Bogdan Magnanovich, those are kind of like the most similar guys to him on this roster. Um, maybe DeAndre Hunter as well. He's more of a 3-4, but still. Um, so I think, you know, if all was equal, opening night, I think Seth is either in the G League or he's not going to play, if that makes sense. But 
Um, from there, you know, Bogdanovich is a guy who's has, who had some injury issues in the past. Griffin's had some injury issues in the past if he did not have any last year. And look, you need more than nine guys over the course of the NBA season. And I think the Hawks are not incredibly deep beyond those nine. They do, they do have Kobe Bufkin, who they drafted in the first round, who probably slots in ahead. But they're very different players in a lot of ways. Um, Garrison Matthews is a guy who'll have to battle for playing time, who's like a veteran, but kind of similar, you know, sh- shoot first guy at the shooting guard position. I think it would probably take a couple of injuries for Seth to actually play real minutes on a consistent basis, but that does that stuff does kind of happen in the in the NBA. Um, as far as the baseline is concerned, he's on a two way, and usually guys on two ways are spending a decent amount of time in the G League, and that's just that's the reality of it. But and that and yeah. the good thing the good thing about the Hawks is actually their their G League team is down the street, so they play in College Park, which is literally basically Atlanta. They play it's like 15 minutes away from their arena to the actual arena in Atlanta. So if anything ever happens, he can be at practice. He practices, you know, last year, Tyrese Martin, very similar guy in terms of like pedigree, drafted about the same spot, um, was back and forth to Atlanta and College Park all the time. And I think that he was sort of a stay ready option. I think Seth is actually even more ready to play than someone like Martin was a year ago, just because of the shooting, that calling card can kind of be there. But, you know, I wouldn't expect him to play a ton. But I do believe that, like, if he's thrust into action, he's the kind of guy that is more likely to play than your than your usual second round rookie because of the shooting. Yeah, and I I certainly don't think that Seth is going to be a guy who's you know he's going to be kicking down the door for an NBA spot right away. But if we're we end up looking back in his career in you know, a decade, 12 years, whatever. And we hear, Oh, uh, Seth Lundy has made $50 million because he just made open threes and defended at a high enough level. I like wouldn't what you, the, the compa- it's funny. Cause I think it's very easy to compare Seth to Lamar Stevens, just because they went to the same school from the same city, <laughs> all that. Like I like Seth has the potential to be a better NBA player and have a better, more lucrative NBA career than Lamar. And like, I think Lamar is better than at everything else, but shooting, but that's how valuable shooting is at the NBA right now. So that's hundred percent true, by the way, I I back you up hundred percent on that bill. (laughs) By the way, I like, I like Lamar Stevens. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pro Lamar. It's just that uh, for a lot of NBA, not, not every NBA team for a lot of NBA teams, they are just looking for, someone who can stand in the corner and make a three when they're, when they're not guard. You know what I mean? It's not that simple, yeah. but it kind of is like the fact that if you're choosing one of the, the floor or the other one to have your, to have your weakness teams, a lot of teams will lean to, they rather have the guy who can shoot who might have other issues. Whereas Lamar, I agree right. with you is really good at a lot of different stuff, but if you, if you can leave that guy open, it can really hurt your offense. So I think the, uh, obviously we're not guaranteeing. I think, I don't think you are either. That's that's going to be playing the Correct. NBA for 10 years, but it, it certainly would not be a surprise to me if he was just like on a bunch of minimum contracts, maybe gets a, maybe gets a couple like $5 million deals down the line to kind of be a bench shooter. Like that's a very realistic pathway. And that's a heck of a career to have, by the way. Yeah. I, I, you, I, you and I have talked about this. If Lamar could be a 37% three-point shooter, he is making a lot of money playing basketball. But like you're you're a Michigan guy. You know you know well from a guy like Duncan Robinson, where if you could be an, an elite shooter in the NBA, you can get a lot of money from that. Hopefully, Seth can do that. And uh, speaking of money, uh, I think it's – Brad, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to make the podcast some money uh, right here and talk about our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. If you're a college sports fan – on the internet, you are surely aware of Homefield Apparel. If you are not, and you got access to this podcast, that's 
that's really cool. Uh, but Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. Uh, as we have said on this podcast before, they are Indiana fans. Uh, so they watched as Penn State on uh, two separate occasions uh, rained the wrath of God down on Indiana basketball, which included Seth Lundy going seven for 12 from three in one of those two games. So that was very cool. Uh, their shirts are comfortable. They're unique. They take the time to make sure that you feel a little bit closer to the school that you love, whether it's your alma mater, whether it's a school uh, that, you, you know, you are a fan of because your alma mater is a different school. Like I, I know plenty of people who went to play. So the example I always say went to slippery rock own Penn state gear, and they're pretty happy about it. And Penn state has a whole lot of stuff in their collection. There was 15 pieces of apparel in their first drop. They just put out a new drop that includes things like crew necks, like quarter zips, like joggers, like t-shirts. If you are uh, a first-time customer with Homefield Apparel, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. Again, promo code ROARLIONSROAR for 15% off of your first order if you're a new customer. Thank you, as always, to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the podcast. And let's get back to talking about Summer League. This one will be a little bit quicker, Brad, because you haven't gotten a full chance uh, to uh, grind the tape on Denver Nuggets Summer League Basketball. Uh, but the Nuggets basically have like three and a half guys worth paying attention to in Summer League. And one of them is a Penn State guy in Jalen Pickett. Again, I'll kind of ask you the same question uh, that we started with when we talked about Seth, which was coming into the draft. Well, this past college season and then coming into the draft, just what were your kind of general overall thoughts about Pickett, his game, and whether it could translate to the NBA? Uh, first, I've, I very much enjoy the work of Jalen Pickett. I think he is uh, was a great college player. That's not, a, that's not a mystery to anybody listening to this podcast, but he was an awesome college player. And I think that I thought he was draftable as well. I think it is, it's different from Seth in that – it's not quite as NBA projectable, like as easily, you know what I mean? Like Seth Lundy, three and D is a very easy package. Whereas Pickett is a different player, uh, very old school in his approach, not in a bad way, just kind of ground bound and not the most explosive guy in the world, but knows how to play uh, angles, efficiency. Like he just knows how to play basketball. And I think the fact that he was drafted was not a surprise to me. It was kind of out there actually in the lead up to the draft that the Nuggets liked him. Um, they ended up taking him probably earlier, earlier than I would have maybe guessed. But certainly a worthy investment for uh, a team at this point in time, given that given the production level and given that, you know, the kind of the way that a lot of are working this now where that backup point guard essentially job, um, if it's not a high level like combo guard guy, teams are going cheap with that job. And they're kind of like it's very much a caretaker position, which I think that Pickett can basically do. And we haven't seen it in the summer league. You, you mentioned how like they have three or four guys. He's leading Denver's summer league team in minutes and assists and like just doing Jalen Pickett stuff. And they played against the Hawks once. I watched that game very intently because that was a, uh, I was courtside for that one, but like, he just looks like Jalen Pickett to me, which for Penn state fans, I'm sure is exciting. Cause like, he's just the same guy. He's always, he has, he has that one speed. He's always a control. And uh, I've always liked this game. He's, he is third in summer league in minutes per game behind Jaden Hardy of the Dallas Mavericks and Benedict Matherin of the Indiana Pacers, two guys who like, we're rookies last season or second year dudes and are like card carrying members of the too good to be at summer league club. <laughs> so it, it, it's very, it, it's like fascinating how much Pickett is playing. Like you mentioned the interest that the nuggets had in him, obviously the Calvin Booth connections, obviously they uh, really could use a backup point guard type of guy, especially after 
uh, the steady hand they had so long. Uh, Monty Morris got traded in the lead-up to last year. The guy they kind of banked on uh, being able to fill that job, Reggie Jackson, didn't quite go the way I think they wanted. And, yeah, I think it was Jeremy Wu of ESPN who reported that, like, the Nuggets made very clear in the lead-up to the draft that they adored Jalen Pickett. Like, they, like they, it, it, it's very rare for a team to be that laser-focused on one guy, but this is also the team that quite literally made the best draft pick in the history of the NBA. So maybe they know something. And, Brad, where, where, where I don't know if I've ever asked you this, where did you, like, have him on your big board and what what did you think he could bring to an NBA team that made it so even with this weird funky style of play that he has you know he could potentially still be a guy who plays the NBA for a while yeah I had him as a second rounder and not like you know not at the bottom basically like I don't know if I would take him taking him where the Nuggets were but where the Nuggets are like not to go down this rabbit hole too much, but the fact that he, I think he's a good fit with Jokic. I mean, which you're not, if you're, if you're Denver, that has to matter to you because he's the guy that everything revolves around. And I think Pickett not having, not having to be a guy that has the ball in his hands all the time. Like I think he can function with or without the ball and be, a, be an effective cutter and like playing through Jokic is just a different brand of basketball than a lot of teams. But I, I think I've talked about this with you before offline, but I firmly believe that there's always, always a a junior or senior guard or two or three in every draft that just falls too far because they're boring. And that kind of is Jalen Pickett. Like not, not exactly in the same way as money as money Morris back in the day. That was one Jalen Brunson fell too far. Like the, there's, there's obviously it, it, it doesn't always work like that, obviously, but there's always a guy or two like this where I'm like, why is it, why are teams passing? I mean, I, this time around he did, he actually didn't fall as far as I maybe thought he might, but maybe that's probably the right decision because he is, I, I think there's probably a ceiling on Jalen Pickett to be realistic. I don't think he's going to be a yeah. top 15 point guard, point guard in the league. And that's, but that's fine when you're picking in the top. Yeah. It's top 35, but it's second round pick. It's very cheap for a team that's facing luxury tax concerns, all that stuff. He can play for you sooner rather than later. And he doesn't make the wrong play. Like the fact that even in summer league, he just looks like he's in command all the time. He doesn't, he's not thirsty in a way that some guys might be when they come in. Like, I think he's just reliable. And especially for what the nuggets were looking for, like that made even more sense for a team. That's obviously trying to win now. Like if you were a team that's trying to rebuild, if you are, let's just say the Pistons or the Rockets or whatever, and you're in a, you're in a long-term rebuild, I probably wouldn't have gone with Bigot just because you're probably aiming for upside and long-term development. But if you're, if you're a good team, like a team drafting in the late, in the late first, or a team that like has a, happens to have a second round pick that's in the top 10 of a second round, like the Nuggets did, is trying to win now. He makes perfect sense because yeah, you probably don't want to have to play a rookie uh, because any rookie, even an older guy like Pickett, you probably don't want to have to rely on, have to rely on. But if you have to pick one, like that's the kind of guy you're looking at because he is old, number one, in a good way for a team that's trying to win. And he just he doesn't make mistakes. Like he just he just doesn't he knows how to play. And I'm a sucker for those guys. I think you know that about me. Like I love guys who just yeah. pass the ball at a high level and do what they know they can do and don't make mistakes. And I think he fits that very well. Right. And when you play on a team where their their two biggest stars are Nikola Jokic, who very he, he might be the smart smartest, quickest, him and LeBron players in the NBA. And then Jamal Murray, another guy who's a very smart, very savvy basketball player. You need to be good at like understanding what those guys want to do and playing around it. And for how ball dominant Pickett was, you know, maybe there's a question there, but I think he'll be able 
to t- handle that. Uh, in summer league, 32.5 minutes a game, played in three games, 13.3 points, 55.2% from the field, 50% from three, six assists, five rebounds, 2.3 turnovers, 1.37 steals, 1.3 blocks in those games. Uh, Brad, I again, I know you haven't been grinding the tape on every single Denver Nuggets summer league game, but Denver did play the Atlanta Hawks in uh, their second summer league game. Pick had an all right game in that one. What stuck out watching him in that environment, which – you know, it's not the NBA by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a maybe. I'd say a little bit of a step up on college basketball. It's really a, a level up from in terms of like talent. It's not, you know, especially with the Big right. Ten, it's kind of its own thing too. Like, just not to go on that rabbit hole too much, but uh, the Big Ten is kind of a grinding style, as we all know. And then, like, but but obviously, everyone's trying to win. You know, the stakes are much higher. Um, whereas the NBA, uh, some summer league in particular, is just a lot more wide open. A lot more talent, but not as much cohesion and some ugliness along the way. Um, as for that game, I think he looked fine. Um, it stood out to me that he was playing a lot with Colin Gillespie, who is also quite small. So they were very small. And like, I, I wonder what the plan is. Obviously, it's summer league for that. But like, I don't think you want to play picket with another guy who is similarly, uh, you know, six foot or whatever it is, like Colin Gillespie. Um, that probably isn't great. But other than that, like, again, he didn't have a great game, like you said, but he just did picket stuff i mean i i think people know that listen to this podcast i don't have to go too much deeper into that he just kind of made the right passes <laughs> he uh a couple of like mark jackson back downs you know what i mean old school uh like that uh kind of hop into your back you know uh craft kind of things you don't always see guys do at this point um like he didn't jump off the screen i have to be honest i think there was more highlight plays from guys like peyton watson or uh, you know hunter tyson had a good game against the hawks but like i think Pickett just like felt like he was normally a, a normal guy out there that didn't like get yourself killed and like in summer league, sometimes rookies, even guys who are four-year rookies, can look out of place in a bad way, and he never does. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can certainly take that either, one of two ways. You can say, oh, it, it doesn't really pop, which I don't think Pickett's ever going to be a guy that pops. You know what I mean? When I say pop, I mean like making huge highlight plays or whatever. That's not really going to be his game ever, but the fact that he doesn't take anything off the table is kind of what you're looking for, and that was kind of the stake this, this, this in, uh, in, in summer league. And I look at his numbers too, like for the whole week so far, and he's been extremely efficient and six assists a game and like just doing what he does, basically. Yeah, you you and I have spoken about this. How many It came up on your pod, like – Guard play at summer league sucks. Like it's, it's just generally guys. It, it, it's just yeah. Brad, Brad's Brad's been out there for a week. Uh, it's generally guys who like know what to do, but there hasn't been a ton of coaching. Maybe the speed of this game is a little bit too fast for them. It's something they'll get used to. They're, it's very cramped. You know, guys like Seth Lundy tend to really really struggle at summer yeah. league because their guards just don't know where to get them the basketball. So they have to do a little too much. It, it says a lot about Pickett to me that he doesn't – like he just looks like himself. And that's the yeah. highest compliment that you can really pay a guard at Summer League is they look like the guy that ended up deserving a spot on a roster. Hey guys, Matt here uh, through the magic of post-production. Unfortunately, we lost Brad's audio for the last like four minutes of this podcast. So 
instead of uh, letting Bill kind of talk to nobody for the last four minutes and change, uh, I'm going to go ahead. We're just going to end the podcast here. So big shout out to Brad and big shout out to Bill. It was great to hear about Seth Lundy and Jalen Pickett. Uh, really, really excited for those guys. And we just wanted to make sure that even though we lost the last little bit, we still got about 35 minutes of content out to you guys. Hopefully you're able to enjoy it. Uh, and again, we do apologize for these technical difficulties, but you know, same stuff as usual. Be sure to follow us on Twitter over at RLR blog, uh, 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com with promo code roar lions roar, all caps, all one word. Uh, we'll be back, uh, later this week with an episode about, uh, you know, media days, football, usual stuff. But, uh, for now, thank you for listening and go state.